Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and a very good morning to Armin Rosen, who is Business Insider's Defense and Military Editor, and joins us for the first time on the show from New York. New York, a very good morning to you, Armin. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on in part because you just recently published a story uh, about your, your time in Niger. Uh, you, the, the story is entitled, An Oil Dispute in Niger is Exposing Big Problems with Chinese Investment in Africa. And you talk about really the role of CNPC, which is the world's third largest company by revenues, uh, China National Petroleum Corporation, and, uh, and a refinery that they had there. So I think the best way for us to get started in our discussion about China, CNPC, and Niger, and this idea that you propose that there are big problems with Chinese investments both in Niger and potentially across the continent, go ahead and just very briefly lay out kind of the story that you published and, uh, and make your case. Sure. Uh, so I, I guess as, as quickly as possible, uh, so Niger, it's a very vast country, mostly unexplored from a, a natural resources perspective, although there's uh, world's fourth largest stocks of uranium in, in the north of the country. Uh, CMPC got a, I think they got exploration rights for an area called uh, DIFA, which is around the Lake Chad, kind of the general Lake Chad area, uh, in 2003. Uh, they found something like between 1 billion and 1.4 billion barrels of oil. Uh, I've heard kind of different numbers on that, but a, a substantial amount nevertheless. For largely political reasons, uh, the next step uh, after uh, you know wells were drilled and so on, uh, was to construct a refinery uh, in a place called Zinder, uh, which is about 650-odd kilometers west of the oil fields, making it about more than 1,000 kilometers, at the very least, away from the nearest export pipeline, which is in Chad. Uh, so the, the refinery was inconveniently located, uh, but at least theoretically made uh, Niger energy independent. Uh, it could produce about three times as much as the uh, in, in refined product as the country actually needs on a daily basis. Um, and it was set up, the refinery was set up as a joint venture between CNPC uh, and the Nigerian state oil company. Uh, the, the issues have largely arisen recently uh, over uh, just the structuring of, of the arrangement between the Chinese and the Nigerian uh, government. Uh, the Nigerian state oil company owes uh, some kind of multi-billion dollar debt uh, to the refinery, which is 60% Chinese-owned and 40% Nigerian-owned. Uh, meanwhile, CMPC, which operates the oil fields, uh, is charging some kind of a premium on the oil uh, that the refinery buys because they don't want to lose money in a time when oil is cheap. Uh, initially, uh, the refinery was buying the oil at 2011 prices, which was something like $70 a barrel. Uh, they were buying as of a month ago at around 57 a barrel, uh, which actually deflates the price because the refinery is responsible, at least my understanding is that the refinery is responsible for uh, maintaining, uh, basically for transiting the oil, which means they would usually get about a $25 to $30 a barrel discount. Uh, at some point in the middle of August, uh, tensions over this sort of, you know, uh, two-way debt uh, and, uh, you know, the overcharging on the oil and a number of other issues kind of boiled over. Uh, the Chinese declared that a compressor at the refinery had failed, uh, and the refinery has been, I believe, shut down ever since, although there were negotiations last week as my article was publishing 
uh, over the terms uh, for reopening it. Uh, so on the one hand, I mean, this story reveals a lot of the, the promise and the potential of Chinese investment in places like Niger. Uh, certainly there's no American or European country that was going to come in or, or company that was going to come in, drill over 200 wells, build a pipeline, uh, build a refinery, even if it's sort of not located in the right place, as, as a lot of experts think, um, you know, and then set up this arrangement where Niger could be a, a petroleum exporter. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the Chinese very much wanted uh, this arrangement to be set up on their terms, their terms that are, let's say, minim minimally favorable to the Nigerian government, um, and that uh, Niame has not proven all that adept at really changing. Um, and it's uh, resulted in you know enough tension to shut down the refinery for a month and lead to some real concerns about uh, fuel shortages and so on. So um, you know, kind of just to just to make sure that I understand this correctly, the sure. so the, the the compressor blowout happened, and then it's um, the, so your your um, your according to your understanding, um, is this? Do you think that it, it might have been not a real blowout at all, but a kind of a, a tactic by CNBC, and then a tactic to achieve what exactly? Do you think? Certainly, I mean, it was certainly a tactic. I mean, I don't, I didn't visit the refinery. I can't say for sure whether there was a compressor blowout. People who are, I mean, I necessarily had to keep my, my sources on this anonymous, but people who would know this stuff and who have knowledge of, of the pipeline and the infrastructure involved uh, do not think that there was a, a compressor blowout and, and do believe that it was a pretext. Uh, the reason, I mean, the, uh, there are a lot, lot of thoughts as to what exactly the motivations would be. Uh, partly it could be over uh, the debt that the Nigerian state oil company owes to the refinery. Uh, there was some speculation that it had to do with China wanting to get additional exploitation rights from the government. Uh, there's apparently an issue with determining the operational funding of the refinery. Uh, you know, there are a number of reasons that, uh, you know, the, the Chinese would want additional leverage over the Nigerian government at this point in time. Uh, there's also the issue of the construction of an export pipeline into Chad, uh, which would largely be built or entirely be built and operated by CNPC. Um, and the government had hoped to use, you know, things like future exploration and exploitation rights as a, you know, as a kind of bargaining chip. Um, and there's at least some speculation that, uh, you know, CNPC would want to shut down the refinery as a, you know, as, to cancel out that kind of leverage. But, you know, that's all kind of in the, in the realm of speculation. Uh, you know, the reality is that the, the relationship at the moment is not functioning at the level that maybe it, it can and, and should be. Well, it's interesting you talk about the speculation because, and, and that was really one of my kind of questions about the piece was, yeah. there's, you know, I mean, it's problematic for me in a couple ways, just journalistically. Sure. Um, okay. There's not a single source that's on the record. Um, yeah. There's no evidence of any kind. I mean, it is, as you pointed out, speculation. And I, from what I can tell, you, you don't get any of the, the CNPC or the Chinese side of the story. Um, and so you say right in the top, you know, the thing is there, and this is I'm quoting, the thing is yeah. there may never have been a compressor blowout. And, you know, when I was at CNN for many years writing, I had a copy editor who banned the yeah. word may because he would always say, well, it may not. 
you know, if it may, it may not. It can or cannot. You know, it's all it's it, it's highly speculative. And then you also pointed out that quote the refinery shutdown is still likely the result of a deliberate Chinese strategy. That's a very big kind of allegation and accusation to put without any supporting evidence to confirm it or people on the record with knowledge that the Chinese are in fact doing this. So I guess my question is, how did you go from speculation from sources who we don't know, which again, uh -huh. they may have agendas which are very, very, um, they benefit enormously from having reporters like you to report Certainly this true. and to put pressure on the Chinese, you know, and yet at the same time, come to a reporting conclusion that you had enough information to write the story in the form that it is? Um, well, that's, that's an interesting question and, uh, you know, certainly something that I thought about as I was working on it, that there were, uh, you know, that I was really not in a position to reveal a lot of the people who I talked to here, um, partly because, I mean, I even feel uncomfortable talking about it because, uh, you know, these are people who are, there was at least one person who I spoke to who had very kind of specific technical knowledge of this stuff um, and who spoke to me at a certain amount of kind of individual risk on this. Um, and a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the stuff as far as a broader, the broader Chinese strategy here uh, came out of people who were speaking at somewhat less risk, but were still deep enough into the kind of extractive industries in Niger uh, for me to for me and for them to not feel particularly comfortable having this stuff get out. But then you're, you know, but then you reach a sort of a, you know, a issue that I'm sure you came across in your own journalistic career, which is that when you are certain about the contours of a story, uh, but it's such that you can't necessarily get the, you know, as exact a sourcing on it as you would like in public, do you just kind of let it die? Uh, particularly when you're dealing with a place like Niger that doesn't get a lot of English-speaking journalists visiting that isn't under a huge amount of scrutiny. Um, and then on the issue of getting CNPC comment, um, I mean, I did try to solicit their U.S. offices for comment. Uh, I don't speak Chinese, so it was more difficult to kind of get through to their offices in Beijing. Uh, their offices in Niger do not have a publicly listed phone number. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, opacity there. Um, I can say this much. I mean, no one has disputed the, the details of the story. Uh, I certainly know that... Well, who you know, would dispute it, though? I mean, it would, well, it would presumably be CNPC, which doesn't talk. But I think you, yeah. can, you can see, for example, the apprehension I, I, yeah, journalistically. I know, I, and I, I guess the point well, on, on sourcing is that uh, keeping your sources anonymous, if based, built around a fact of some kind, makes sense. Yeah. But we don't have a fact here, which is the, 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 the compressor blowout, whether or not it happened. And that's, I guess, where my, my, my discomfort comes, which is there is an event that happened that's disputed or likely disputed. Uh -huh. um, and then there's speculation built on top of that, as opposed to a verified fact, then sources want to remain anonymous. But at least that fact is in dispute. Do you see where that's where I guess my, I, my I discomfort I, comes on that? I, cer I certainly do. But this is, I mean, this is not something I heard from, all right, I'll go into maybe a little bit more detail on sourcing here. I heard this from at least four people, one of whom uh, works professionally around the, the, uh, the oil infrastructure in Niger. He provided some photographs of the, uh, of the refinery on the day that the blowout supposedly occurred. And uh, that's, that's kind of all I'll go into. I, I mean, I, I understand your, your trepidation, absolutely. Um, but that's, you know, okay. that's what I'll say about that. Um, I wonder if we can, you know, kind of if we can get to, 
you know, kind of your perception of how of, of the the reason for for the for staging a blowout. You know, kind of if if that is how it, how it works. Um, what what would CNBC as this massive company, you know, kind of get out of out of kind of blackmailing this small country? I mean, you know, obviously you, you mentioned um, you know the possibility of, of further of further exploration rights and also of the the possibility of debt repayments. But, um, you know, kind of like, I wonder if you could unpack the relationship there between the Chinese financier of the debt, the, the you know, CNPC as, a, as an independent company, um, and, you know, kind of, and, and what, they, what their different kind of agendas would be in this, in this situation. Well, it isn't, I mean, it isn't necessarily blackmail, and this is something that, uh, hopefully, as it pains to mention in the article, I mean, there is enough kind of dysfunction on the Nigerian side of this relationship for CNPC to be justifiably frustrated. Um, largely coming from the, uh, you know, the debt on the Nigerian side. The fact that, I mean, I, I heard this from a number of people in the, you know, in the petroleum industry who I talked to, like, saying, look, you know, this issue boils down to the fact that there's money that the Nigerian government owes to CMPC that they're just not paying. It might, it might come down to something as simple as that, uh, which, which gets it at kind of a larger issue in this relationship, which is that, uh, you know, as rapacious to a degree as CMPC has been in Niger, the Nigerians have done very little to kind of counter them, uh, very little to sort of provide, uh, you know, the expertise or the kind of, uh, you know, knowledge of their own negotiating leverage to sort of move the relationship on a more even even sort of footing. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily consider the, the closure of the Soraz refinery to be blackmail per se, uh, more than just sort of the end result of of these larger issues that neither side have been able to resolve for a while. You know, just just to follow up on that, um, you know, sure. so there's something that I don't 100% get there is obviously sure. you know CNBC isn't the isn't the the one who lent the money, right? As as far as we understand, you know, kind of those, yeah. those are usually you know kind of Chinese state-related banks or financing institutions. Yeah. Um. So and usually you know kind of there, there has been several several cases where African countries haven't been able to repay their debts, and then yeah. it follows a process of you know, kind of, of, of renegotiation, you know, kind of like a red debt rescheduling or, you know, kind of changing, changing, you know, kind of payment dates, like in the case of Angola, or the, the appointment of Chinese government um, auditors, like in the case of Zimbabwe. So yeah. why don't do you think the, the, they kind of, they would have used this kind of like somewhat mafia type of you know, <laughs> staging this kind of incident rather than simply following the normal, the normal kind of way that they always do? Um, because I, I mean, I would assume this, this might be like a big, a big leap that that's being wrapped up into discussions over the construction of the export pipeline, uh, which is sort of a, another related issue that's ongoing right now. Um, and there, there's been some news around that over the past month, uh, particularly around understandings between the Nigerian and the Chadian government as to the route of the pipeline, uh, other, other kind of related issues connected to that. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly a, a good question, but I would, I mean, my you know, I, my assumption coming out of that is that shutting down the refinery might not necessarily have to do with with the you know the remaining debt on the refinery itself, and would have to do with some other you know dysfunction in the the sort of tripartite structure of the oil industry in Niger. You you you, yeah. you close your your piece by and and let me put another quote here just for people who may not have read sure. it. You yeah. close it by saying it reveals the consequences of Chinese state-owned companies trying to import their domineering way of doing business. 
Um, you're new to our podcast, but um, yeah. we don't, I mean, I don't care. I don't have any, neither one of us have a horse in the race in terms of supporting the Chinese, the West, the, you know, Nigerians, doesn't matter to us. So we're, yeah. we're just kind of asking the question here. Um, it, you know, is domineering, it, that's a very loaded subjective word. Um, and I guess I'm just curious that what we've seen from Shell in Nigeria, what we've seen from Total and Elf Total in Gabon, um, you know, corrupting governments, overthrowing leaders, you know. Oh, certainly. It, it just seems highly subjective to imply that CNPC here is somehow better, worse, different than any other oil major in Africa. But yet, on top of the fact that, you know, this comes at the end of a story where, again, and I hate to beat the horse here, but we, we don't certainly, have the evidence. Uh, we don't have the evidence to show the domineering if we can't even confirm why or why they didn't turn off or allegedly turned off the or blew out the, the the system there. So where's the domineering side coming here in terms of uh, of your conclusion? Um, I mean, I, I think the most, I'd say the most kind of the reason I selected that word largely had to do with the arrangement on the pricing of the oil from uh, uh, into the refinery. Uh, the fact that it was for a while pegged at artificially, uh, the price was pegged at an artificially high point. Uh, the fact that the refinery is not kind of allowed to recuperate the, uh, the transit costs on the oil. Uh, that is, again, that's something where if the Nigerian government was in a position uh, really where it didn't have to pump ridiculous amounts of money and resources into security and where it could focus on, uh, you know, things like pipeline, pipeline maintenance and monitoring, uh, built a bit more capacity around the petroleum sector, you know, they would be able to kind of recognize in a way how bad of a deal they're getting. Uh, again, you know, as you mentioned, CMPC doesn't have a responsibility to uh, you know, reach an agreement, uh, you know, an arrangement that's uh, advantageous to the Nigerian government. But, you know, it's it's something that certainly, uh, you know, the Nigerians are in a bad, are not in really much of a position to fight. And it, at least in the sense that you would imagine that a state oil company that's going to be in Niger for the next 20 or 30 years would want to approach the relationship from maybe a, a, a more equitable position. Well, I mean, I guess that, that is sense, so maybe, not the history of oil in Africa, though. <laughs> no, I cer oh, I certainly understand I mean, that. And I mean, just wait until, you know, wait another you know week or two until I have my articles out about Areva, uh, you know, the French-owned uranium company in northern Niger. Uh, certainly, you know, their history over the last 40 years makes CMPC look fairly virtuous by comparison. I mean, I, I suppose my, you know, maybe my choice of words might have been uncareful, but uh, it's still, you know, not maybe the most promising beginning to a relationship that is essential to Niger and that the Chinese clearly care about, uh, you know, deeply enough to invest $3 billion in the Nigerian uh, petroleum sector. The article is, an oil dispute in Niger is exposing big problems with Chinese investment in Africa. Armin Rosen is the author. He's also the Business Insider's defense and military editor who's based in New York. Uh, Business Insider, congratulations on your new uh, German overlords. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, Armin, at the end of, uh, of each of our shows, one of the things we like to do is kind of drop people off at the front door of your social media uh, kind of portal. And I'm sure that, you know, you being a Business Insider uh, correspondent have a Twitter and Facebook and all the various kind of dots oh, yeah. and W's for social media. Where can people follow what you're reading and writing these days? 
So you can follow me at uh, Armin Rosen on Twitter, which is just A-R-M-I-N-R-O-S-E-N with no spaces. Uh, you'll find all kinds of things on all sorts of random topics throughout the day over there. Um, and then, of course, on Business Insider at businessinsider.com. Uh, yes, so the channel that I edit uh, is uh, businessinsider.com slash defense. Excellent. Uh, and is that mostly U.S. defense or international or anything? It's, uh, it's mostly uh, kind of like international geopolitical news with, uh, you know, occasional stories on veterans, on, uh, you know, U.S. operations around the world, uh, intelligence, surveillance, things like that. We try, we try to keep as broad a focus as, as possible, which... Uh, you know, is a uh, part of, I suppose, why my editors, you know, saw some value in uh, letting me go to Niger for three weeks. Nice. Well, hey, listen, we're glad you did. Glad you had a chance to join us. We really appreciate the time. And uh, Kobus, where if people want to follow what you're doing these days, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? You'll see me on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And we curate a 24-hour stream of China African news items, um, including Armin's um, piece. So, um, and I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesk. That's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And in addition to our Facebook page, almost a quarter of a million people are joining our discussion. So we hope that you'll be able to join us on Facebook. And Armin, I hope you follow us. And we do every time oh, to time have uh, defense-related <laughs> articles. But also, if that's maybe a little bit too intense, we do have a light version of all of this. And it comes in the form of, a, of an email newsletter that goes out every Monday with about four or five stories and uh, some research that goes, uh, an academic research article in our podcast. So if that's more you're liking, uh, you know, you can sign up on our Facebook page at ChinaAfricaProject.com or, of course, right over on our Facebook page. And if you'd like to follow this podcast, best way to do it, just go to iTunes, search for China Africa, uh, and you'll find us there. We're also on the fantastic Asia Society's China File website. Every week the show appears there. And from time to time, oh, wow. we're even now showing up on the Huffington Post. So maybe, Armin, you can talk to your boss and get us on to Business Insider one of these days. We'd love that, we, too. I'll, I'll uh, yeah. Put, I'll, put I'll a good ask. word in with the Germans. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, so we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the show. Until then, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>